to the Hope on the Hard Road podcast, where you and your family can find community, find encouragement, and find hope for the road ahead. Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you will all be together in this. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Hey guys, thanks for joining us for today's podcast, another episode in our current therapy series. We first met Jan at our daughter's therapy clinic, where Jan is both occupational therapist and co-owner. She also founded a nonprofit called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, which hosts special needs sports camps, which you'll hear us talk more about later. Jan has a vast amount of experience and knowledge working as a pediatric occupational therapist and teach certified practitioner, and also as a parent. Thanks for listening. Hey, Jan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. Excited to share my story and a little bit um, about what it is like to be an occupational therapist with parents. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Sure. So I was um, married in 1978, um, a year after graduating from OT school. My husband's name is Mark. We uh, have three children. Um, Our older son, it was born four years after our marriage, and he um, is diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is no longer a diagnosis, but he has high-functioning autism. And we have a daughter who is a speech therapist, and we have a son who is um, a soccer coach um, in college and played um, on the national team and played professional soccer. I'm a grandma of seven grandchildren, um, three of which live in Pennsylvania and four live in Chicago. Um, Just love being a grandma. It's the highlight of my life. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm a certified teach practitioner who has dedicated most of my career to working in pediatrics because I love children. When I was a child, I, I struggled a lot with being very shy and not being very coordinated. I always worked in my head about whether I was good enough. Did anybody notice my needs? And did I matter? As I grew into adulthood, God used those questions I had about myself as a child to create in me a great deal of compassion and empathy for children and teens who may be struggling in certain areas of their lives. God clearly used my weaknesses as a child to guide me to my career as a pediatric occupational therapist. And God has also really used my older son as I've watched him grow up and watched him question himself and worry about, am I good enough? Um, With a a younger brother who was a professional athlete and a a sister who was um, very successful at whatever he tried, our older son struggled a lot with trying to find where his gifts were, where were his strengths, and did he matter? Um, And so that's really guided me as I look at children. I want each and every child who has some weaknesses that stand out to really know that they are very, very important, that God loves them dearly, and that they matter and God has a purpose for them. In starting my career as a pediatric um, therapist, I lived in Irvine. Um, I then moved to San Diego where I worked at Rady Children's Hospital for about 16 years. 
During my time at Radies, I began to feel the need for more flexibility in my own career to better meet the needs of my own growing children. My oldest son was beginning to need more support from me during his adolescent years. I prayed earnestly about how to balance my career with my son's growing and very significant needs, and God put it on my heart to open a private practice in Rancho Bernardo where I would have a more flexible schedule and be closer to home so that I could better meet the needs of my kids. I partnered with another OT and Open Kids Therapy Associates. We started out serving schools only, and then within a year, we opened a clinic to provide occupational, physical, and speech therapy. The clinic has consistently grown over the last 18 years, and we now serve um, about 600 kids uh, a week. My heart for opening the clinic was to provide very professional, individualized, and compassionate care for our precious clients and their families. That is beautiful, Jan. We know you to be a compassionate person. And as a matter of fact, that is how we met you first was through kids therapy. And you've been such a blessing ever since, you know, looking at occupational therapy, I think the basic question would be what exactly is occupational therapy or OT and when does a child need it? Well, that's a very good question. And I have to say that many parents aren't aware of what occupational therapy is. Speech therapy and physical therapy, the names describe what the profession is, but occupational therapy doesn't necessarily do that. It's a profession that helps people across the lifespan to do the things they want and need to do through therapeutic use of daily activities, which would be their occupations. Occupations differ throughout our lifespan. So the occupation of a child is to play and be a student. Common occupational therapy interventions include helping children and teens with sensory sensory and physical disabilities to participate fully in school and social situations and helping children and teens recovering from injuries to regain skills. Well, thanks for that, Jan. Can you compare and contrast the difference between uh, OT in a clinic setting uh, versus the school setting? Well, clinic occupational therapy is provided in a clinic or a hospital setting and sometimes um, provided in the home. The focus of clinic-based OT is providing therapeutic activities and accommodations or adaptations to improve functional skills related to activities of daily living, such as grooming, bathing, dressing, and feeding. School-based occupational therapy is provided in the school setting. The focus of school-based OT is to support needs related to success in the educational environment using therapeutic activities and adaptations. School-based occupational therapy goals support fine motor skills and visual motor integration skills related to handwriting, drawing, cutting, and use of technology. School-based goals also address sensory processing, sensory modulation, underlying emotional regulation, and social participation, and focus and attention. School-based goals also address vocational skills and other functional goals related to, um, say, dressing or um, toileting, depending on what kind of a class a child participates in or what kind of a school a child participates in. If a child is working on functional skills, such as not academic skills, but working on, um, for example, putting their PE clothes on, um, then it would be appropriate to have a goal on an IEP to help a student change and put their PE clothes on um, in the school environment. 
Um, it also would be appropriate um, to have, say, a hand-washing goal on a child's IEP or a feeding goal to assist them, say, with opening containers, um, opening their lunchbox, throwing their trash away, washing their hands. So school-based goals can work on functional vocational skills and other um, tasks related to activities of daily living if a student is in a functional skills program. So how can a parent obtain OT outside of a school setting for their child? So to obtain OT outside of the school setting, when using health insurance, a parent first needs to get a doctor's order for an occupational therapy evaluation. The physician then makes uh, an order for an occupational therapy evaluation. Once the OT evaluation is completed, the evaluating occupational therapist will write goals and recommend a frequency for service implementation. The goals and implement, implementation frequency then need to be approved by the patient's insurance company prior to the services beginning. It's a process and it takes a few weeks. If a parent chooses to pay privately, a doctor's order and insurance approval is not required. When accessing early intervention services through the regional center, for example, the child needs to be under age three and the services also need to be approved. In this area, it would be the San Diego Regional Center. So how can a parent begin the process of obtaining OT then uh, in a school? So to receive occupational therapy in the school setting, a student first needs to be qualified for special education. To qualify for special education, you can make a written request to your school district's special education department, asking them to assess your child for special education services due to concerns related to, and then the parent clarifies what concerns those would be. The student is then provided with what they call a comprehensive psychoeducational evaluation that evaluate areas of need relating to learning, cognitive ability, and language. A student must first qualify for special education in one of those areas before a school-based occupational therapy can be requested. If the student does not qualify um, for special education, a parent then cannot request a school-based occupational therapy evaluation. Once your child does qualify for special education, you then request an OT evaluation. When you request an OT evaluation, it's very helpful to make the request to the school district in writing. The district is then required to respond by providing an OT evaluation within a defined timeline. So Jen, I know that we've talked about um, something that you're certified in, which is called the TEACH method. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I can, and this is an area that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so I um, was very blessed, and I feel like this is an area that God really redirected my life. Um, on site at the school was a certified teach practitioner that was mentoring all the staff that was working on the school site. And um, when I first arrived at the school site on the very first day, I knew nothing about treating autism, and I was severely bit by a child. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the child's fault, it was. I take responsibility for it because I didn't know how to communicate with this child. So what I did was went to the certified teach practitioner and she reviewed with me what I could have done differently. And it was life-changing for the kids I was working with. Um, What teach is a research-based program. It's very research-based through the university of North Carolina. It was started in the 1970s 
It stands for Treatment and Education of Autistic and Communication Handicapped Children. It is appropriate for children, teenagers, and adults. It improves independence with skills, communication, behavior, and following routines when using this method. So TEACH is centered on five basic principles. First, physical structure. That refers to proximity supports. So it defines for the individual when they go into a certain environment, what are they expected to do? So for example, when you walk into the kitchen, the kitchen is structured in such a way that the student sees, this is where I eat. There might be a visually supported placemat on the table. Um, all the utensils, plates and so forth are structured in such a way that the student understands how to pick up the plate, where to serve their food, where to sit down. Then there might be a visually structured homework area at home. And they understand when they go in the bedroom that that is where they go to bed and sleep. The physical structure, the proximity supports also are very well defined in a classroom environment in the educational setting when the teach is governing the system. Um, it's very organized, very structured. Second, the students have a consistent schedule. Um, this consistent schedule is possible through various mediums such as drawings, photographs, pictures, 3D objects. So one of the things we start by doing is assessing a student to see what kind of visual stimuli they best respond to. So do they just respond to photos? Can they respond to written words? Do they actually need to have a photograph of the specific materials that they'll be using? Or do they actually need to have three-dimensional objects? So we first look at what kind of visual stimuli will help the student be successful. Third, the work system establishes expectations and activity measurements that promote independence during independent learning and teacher instruction and functional activities in the school, home, and community environments. The work system defines for the child in their specific work area, how many activities are they gonna be expected to complete? What materials will they need to use and how to use and sequence those materials? Where do they put the task when they're finished with it? And what will they get to do when they're finished with all their tasks? That has been for me, the most valuable part of TEACH that I have noticed in that when students come to a workstation to sit down and they know that they're probably gonna be asked to do something challenging, by looking at the structure of their workstation, they can see that they'll have challenging activities here. They'll also have preferred activities and they're gonna to get to do something really fun when it's over with. And it really assists with emotional regulation and behavior. Jan, I can t attest to that. We've seen that with Abby, that brings that anxiety level down because she anticipates and understands the parameters and what's expected and also is excited to earn that reward at the end. You're right, you're right. And that's so true what you said about anxiety that it does help to reduce anxiety. I had a mom who brought um, their son to me and she said, you can do whatever you wanna do, but whatever you do, do not put a crayon or a pencil in his hand and ask him to write. And um, after she left, I did ask him if he would like to choose a crayon or a pencil. <laughs> and he immediately threw himself on the floor and he had a temper tantrum that lasted about 30 minutes. But then the second time he came, I set up a writing activity at his developmental level, 
but I combined it with a superhero theme. He loves superheroes. That's great. So what I told him is that we had a big problem. I said, we have to carry these superheroes over to their building that they are going to rescue. And I had pictures of superheroes on the left side of the paper. He had to Velcro one of those under his crayon. And then he had to draw a line on his paper. So he was drawing. And then he had to remove the superhero from his crayon and attach it to the building. He could see on the left side that he had five superheroes to deliver. And he was doing something really fun and preferred, which reduced his anxiety and allowed him to be compliant with holding a crayon and engaging in a writing task. So that's how this method works. And I've seen it be life-changing for many kids when in having to engage in non-preferred activities. So the fourth part of the visual structure is routine. It's essential because most important functional support for autistic individuals is consistency. They wanna know what is gonna be expected. Um, and then visual cues that provide for them reminders and um, ideas on how to um, move forward with instructions. So when they're struggling, we utilize visual structure to prompt them. And what I've also seen this do is decrease the need for the support of a person in that the student begins to rely more on the visual structure, which is much more normative in this day and age. All of us use visual structure. We have our outlook, we have our planners, we have our calendars. I don't know what I'd do if somebody took my visual structure away. So what we do is individualize the visual structure for these students in very, very specific ways. And I have seen it to be life-changing for um, the school and in within the home environment. Common misperceptions about TEACH are, is that it's designed only for children. That is not true. It's effective for teens and adults. And another huge common misperception is that it is goes against ABA. That is not true either. It can work very collaboratively with ABA. That's fabulous. Thank you. And that's why it has to be so individualized for that child, which there's nothing wrong with taking the time to individualize the use of strategies. Um, and anxiety is a huge factor for our kiddos with autism and other disabilities. They get very anxious when they see something that they don't know how to do. Yes. And so they have behaviors and by integrating in the preferred themes and the preferred, sometimes the preferred tactile media will also help them. So in doing a math activity, um, counting pennies, and then matching the number of pennies to the correct number, well, that might make a student very upset who's having challenge in that area. But if we put the pennies in therapy putty and he has to bring the pennies out and place them on a form that we've created with structure and a number, he's gonna be much more engaged and in that his anxiety will be reduced. That's yeah, it great. feels like they're playing a game, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and don't we all get anxious when we are not aware of what it is we're about to do? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so true. So this next area, um, do you have any tips for parents uh, at home for activities of daily living, or as you call them, ADLs? So yes, I do. Supports to increase independence with ADLs need to be very individualized for your child's needs. I know that sounds like a lot of work. It is to set it up, but it can definitely decrease the support that you have to provide for them at home when they are doing their ADLs. 
They can be supported by your OT designing exercises, activities for remediation of areas of weakness, as well as providing support. For children and teens with autism, very individualized visual structure can strongly support a schedule during ADLs, as well as motor planning and sequencing of multi-step challenging tasks. So motor planning is a common area of difficulty for students with autism. Difficulty knowing how to plan and sequence unfamiliar multi-step tasks, such as grooming or brushing your teeth, putting the toothpaste on, putting the lid back on the toothpaste, brushing your teeth, rinsing your mouth. All those can be frustrating to a child because it is a multi-step task and they don't know how to engage in it. So by setting it up, in a visually sequenced way, which is the teach method, it helps very much to contribute to decreasing task avoidance and to negative behaviors. Visually supporting how to sequence a challenging task when individualized for each child will support task engagement and completion. I had one mom ask me recently um, about how to help her child um, choose their clothes in the morning. She said he doesn't like it when I choose his clothes for him but when he chooses his clothes, he chooses things that are maybe not appropriate for the weather. So I had to really look at, look at how this child was thinking. And what we did was we arranged his clothes into drawers based on what the weather was that day. And then we put visual cues on his drawer. If it's a sunshine day and it's hot, you choose something from this drawer. If it's raining outside and we put a picture of rain on his drawer, you choose something from this drawer. So we individualized his clothes selection um, by using visual support. And all that is, again, has to be very specific for each child's needs and how they visually process input or understand um, you know, how clothes should be selected. Then breaking tasks down into smaller steps. So if a student can't put on their pants, for example, um, or say they can put on their pants, they can don't them, they can pull them up, but they can't do a snap or a button or a zipper. What we do then is either give them assistance for that part of it or replace that part of it for the time being with Velcro and then provide separate activities not related to dressing time to teach that child how to snap button and zipper. And again, this is where we might integrate um, a preferred theme. So we might, um, if a child is really into Disney and um, loves Frozen, we might have um, set up a snapping board where we have felt pieces of Frozen figures and the girl has to press the snap of the felt piece onto the board. So she's no longer feeling frustrated like she has to snap on her pants, but she's snapping Disney characters onto a Frozen board. And by doing that, she's learning to snap. She's, she can see the snap, she can see the way it's motor plan. And then later we will ask her to generalize that skill to her pants or her sweater, whatever it is that she's learning. And it, and it takes time to generalize. And that's where I think kids get very frustrated in that they, we try to get it generalized too quickly. We have to break down all the pieces of an activity that could be challenging and teach them separately and then generalize them together. Yeah. That's great. So Jan, one of the exciting things that's happened in recent years for you is that you started a nonprofit called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what you guys have been up to lately? Yes. Well, this is 
the latest passion in my life, and I'm so excited about it. Um, unfortunately, it got a little temporarily interrupted by COVID, but we are back building again. And the goal of our nonprofit is to teach kids, each and every one of them, that they are wonderfully made by God. We don't always get to plan the way our life will be. Well, we we can make choices, but sometimes our plan is not the way we want it to be. But God allows there to be interruptions in our life. He might be allow, He might allow us to be born with a disability. He might allow us to be in an accident that causes the disability. But nevertheless, God has a plan for us. We are wonderfully made by him. And he is here to intervene for us. And we want every child to know that no matter what their disability is, what their weakness is, what they're frustrated with, God has a plan for them. And he wants to use them to further develop his kingdom on this earth. And I, I can't tell you how many times children have spoken to me that are on my caseload um, that God has used them to bless me and to encourage, encourage me in my walk with God by just the things that they have said. Um, so what we want to do in this nonprofit is to create activities. Um, so far, what we've done primarily are sports camps, and we want our kids with um, disabilities, special needs, to be able to participate alongside their peers, typically developing peers and participate in sport camps. When we think of, um, this was near and dear to my heart because when I thought of one of the difficult things in my life with my older son was he couldn't necessarily participate in vacation Bible school. He couldn't necessarily participate in some of the camps that we went to, the family camps um, that we went to because he didn't know how to participate without assistance and he didn't know how to participate with typically developing peers. So I wanted families to, to be able to have a place that summer, a camp where all their kids could go to and the parent could have time off and the kid would be learning at our camp. They would be learning and developing and as well as typical peers would be learning and developing in their understanding of kids with special needs. So our heart was to develop integrated programs, and that's still our heart, whether it be camps, um, which for the most part, it's been camps, but we want to do social language groups. We want to really get involved in supporting churches with Vacation Bible School. We want to um, do um, emotional regulation groups. Um, we're even thinking of with older kiddos um, wanting to do a movie night. How do I go out to a movie with my friends? I don't really have any friends. How do I interact with friends? So combining, say, teens with special needs with a group of teens with um, that are typically developing and helping them to participate together. And what we do is we look at each child's needs very specifically. We do a, a pretty informal but pretty comprehensive evaluation of each child coming into camp. Then we put a therapist, a licensed therapist in charge of that child, whether it be occupational, physical, or speech, depends on the, the child's needs. We develop a program of supports for that child at the camp, and then we train a peer buddy to be his individual peer buddy throughout the camp program. And um, we've had huge success with it. 
and kids um, are kept safe. They learn new skills. Um, they have a, we have a break area at the camps where the kids can take a break from the sport part of the camp or whatever might be challenging. They come into the break area. They learn how to emotionally regulate there. And we also have teach tasks. That's that visually supported uh, technique that I just taught you about. We have teach tasks set up in our break area that teach the children about activities of daily living, about um, how to do specific activities that will be important for them throughout their life. So it's a very comprehensive camp and the kids usually leave being so happy and really um, feeling blessed that they attended. And I think the parents have been very happy about it as well. Um, and a lot of times kids have been able to discover different gifts that they have there. <clears throat> um, I will never forget how um, one uh, child there who was one of our typically developing um, peers was at the camp and he was in the golf segment of the camp. We had different sports available. And this child was throwing a temper tantrum because he, he didn't hit the golf ball where he wanted to hit it. <laughs> and one of our children with autism, who was fairly verbal, walked up to him and said, excuse me, I think you look like you're in the red zone. Can I help you? Fabulous. Can I help you? I have a toolbox and I'll share with you some things that you can do. You can put the golf club down and take deep breaths. <laughs> you can sit down and you can close your eyes and you can pray for a few minutes or you can take a walk and come back to golf in a minute. Which tool would you like to use? This was totally unprompted. <laughs> and from that, these two became friends and okay. they had play dates. And so I look at the things that God has brought together and developed from this. It's beautiful. It sure it, is. Talk uh, about generalization, man. That is wonderful example. Right yes, there. yes. And it showed me that this child was learning what we were teaching him because mm -hmm. he was able to go teach it to somebody else. He probably could get a job out there in the golf courses with all the people that go into the red zone when they can't hit the ball. <laughs> well, <laughs> totally. I, I know that Abby was totally blessed and, you know, watching your staff take and just make her week special. And she one of the one of the years we did it, she wasn't having a great week, but you guys just made sure it wasn't like we're going to go send her home. We're going to figure this out. We're going to make it work. We're going to keep on pushing. And sure enough, you know, as the week went on, she got more into the routine. She got more cooperative. She had more enjoyment. And, and she was right there with her peers after, you know, a couple of days, completely enjoying it. And she still talks about it. What is one thing that you'd like to share with our listeners to help encourage them and to bring hope for the road ahead? Well, I have two takeaways today to leave with you. Um, one for the children and teens who walk the challenging road of having a significant disability in this world. And one for us parents who have been blessed with walking this hard road of shepherding our child who has significant challenges in their life. For all of us, may we always remember that God is writing his story through us. He created us perfectly. This is an imperfect world. I think what the one thing that I want us all to remember as parents of children and teens with special needs is that our children are wonderfully made by God with a plan and a purpose for him to fulfill through them. And I am reminded by God daily that I am not the author of the story that God is writing through my children's lives. God is the author. 
Mm -hmm. created each of us with his huge heart and his loving hands. He tells us in his word that he created our inmost being. He wove us together in the depths of the earth. His eyes saw our unformed bodies and all the days ordained for each of us were written in his book before one of them came to be. That keeps me going all the time when I think of the struggles that we have been through with our own son. Um, This is an imperfect world. God did not choose imperfection, but it's allowed in this world because it's an imperfect world. And yet God's huge heart, his loving hands, his powerful Holy Spirit molds and shapes our difficulties into areas that he can use for his glory in this world. So for our precious children, I want you to know you were born into this very imperfect world. And as a result, some of of us people might have to live with greater challenges in their bodies. God knows and understands the pain and the suffering that each of you go through on this earth, as you may find it very challenging to communicate, play, work, and even do basic things like eat, take a shower and get dressed. But I want to tell you, God knows your weaknesses. He never created you to be sufficient with those weaknesses. He has provided loving parents for you, teachers, therapists, siblings, and friends. And greater than that, he has provided the Holy Spirit to fill you with his strength and love for each challenge that you face. Jesus is a mighty God who will use your struggles as an instrument of his love and his light in this world to strengthen your faith and to encourage others. For our parents, God also knows the challenges we face as parents as we support our children with their specific needs on this hard road. He knew the road we would walk in our lives before we, he brought us into this world. And he knew that we were not sufficient for this assignment. Jesus is a God of compassion. He's our best friend, the lover of our soul, and he's our defender. And he is walking hand in hand with us parents in every moment of every day. He promises to meet our every need while we experience joy, grief, frustration, anxiety, fear, and sometimes hopelessness as we parent our children. While we each pray for God to heal our child and remove their weaknesses, God sometimes has a different plan that we may not understand right now, and he may not remove their weaknesses while living on this earth. As I personally deal with the pain of what my son continues to go through as an adult with very serious struggles, I'm reminded that God sees things from a different perspective. God is using the struggles that my son has encountered in this fallen world by writing his story through my son and through me as his mom. As I think about the difficulties that my son experiences every day, I express my sadness and my disappointment to God, sometimes very emotionally. And God embraces me with his loving arms and he reminds me that he feels my pain. God can use my son's struggles, and he has a greater purpose that I cannot see right now. As parents, we walk in faith every day with our children, keeping our eyes on Jesus. We need to remind ourselves that even though we can't see the perfect solutions every day for our child, and we can't see the end of the story, we still believe. I cling to Jeremy Camp's song, even though I can't see, I still believe. I, I listen to it every day when I think of my son. Even though I can't see what's happening in his life, 
I believe that God is here. He is with me and he is with my son. As a therapist, I want to encourage you to reach out to help for help when you need assistance to support your child. And as a parent of a son with special needs, I want to encourage you to not grow weary. Keep your eyes on God, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jan, thank you so much wow. for sharing. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. And we are so grateful that you came on this podcast today. Well, thank you. Resources and contact information for today's podcast will be included in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share us with others and be sure to follow us so you won't miss an episode. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment or rating and connect with us on social media or on our website at hopeonthehardroad.org.